Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and geese making their way back north finally. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock and time for Tea with BVP. Hey everyone, I'm your host BVP, a.k.a. Bill Van Patten, international superstar. Yeah. And, and of course, diva of SLA. Happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Go green. I get to say go green and have it mean something other than just go, <laughs> go Spartan, right? Welcome back from spring break, everybody. Hey, Walter. Hey, Angelica. How are you guys doing? Great. Here we are live once again from the second floor of Wells Hall on the Michigan State University campus in East Lansing, Michigan. Beautiful, sunny spring day in East Lansing, Michigan. I love it. So tell me about spring break. What you guys do for spring break? Anything fun? You guys, we were gone. I miss you guys. I was at Central States. Oh, where one of our um, wonderful listeners won the Teacher of the Year Award for the region. For Central States? Yeah. Can you say who that is? It's not a secret. Grant, and I'm going to butcher his last name, but <laughs> Boulanger. That's Boulanger. how it sounds in my head. Grant Boulanger. Yeah. Yes, Go good Grant. Old Grant. Yay. Everybody applause for Grant. Yay. Yay. Good for Grant. Okay, Grant, you need to call in now. <laughs> He teaches during ah. our show. And you saw Carol, too, right? I did see Carol, yeah. yeah. Well, good. Carol is going to be here with us in April sometime. She's going to be a guest on our show. Um, we'll talk about that later at some point. So, good. How about what did you do, Walter? I, you were here in East Lansing. I didn't see you all last week, right? No, I, I was here in the office. I was driving kids to school and different activities because they still had school. It's kind of silly. You know, the public schools and the university can't link things together and yeah. have their breaks at the same time. But, alas... Say la vie. I had a great. I spent a whole day with my wife. We went out and had like a date day because the kids were at school and oh, so nice. Was a good nice. Time, but nice. Other than that, it was pretty. What did you do, Bill? Oh, I stayed home and worked as usual. Well, I tried yeah. not. To, I tried desperately not to work. I, I really needed some downtime. <clears throat> Literally downtime. I should have taken some downers. Then I would have had some downtime. But I didn't. I just actually I just spent time with my dog and nice. What and is literal downtime? I mean, little like being you, down. Literal. You take like, a downer and you're down. You're like, oh. And then somebody calls you in front of you and you go, hey, Walter, <laughs> how are you doing? That's what being literally down is like. Been there. Done it. Ever read Valley of the Dolls? Mm-hmm. Read Valley of the Dolls, you know what I'm talking about. Or you can see the movie and you know what I'm talking about. Not a very good movie. The book was better. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. Have you heard of it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Valley of the Dolls? You don't know Valley of the Dolls with Patty Duke? Oh, my God. Oh, and Susan Hayward. Oh, my God. It was a great one of those campy movies from the 70s. Oh, about all those women in L.A. who take drugs. And, you know, they're all on popping pills and doing things because they can't, you know, stand their lives. It was really good. It was like, it was like the Desperate Housewives before there was Desperate Housewives. Hmm. It's really, really good. Um, yeah, so today is St. Patrick's Day. Can you believe that? I know. I think, is, has it been six months we've been on the air now? Was it October, November, December, January, February, March? Six months. Wow. wow. We're having wow. a six-month anniversary. Woohoo! Yay! Isn't that cool? Same, because I think we started, Luca, didn't we start October 15th? I think we started October 15th, <laughs> and this is March 17th, so it's been six months. So that's pretty cool. So call in and congratulate us today. Thank you, people, for doing that. Um, yeah, St. Patrick's Day. I actually gave my class today. You know, I teach a Spanish conversation class. So I thought I need a little warm-up activity. So I gave them this, this quiz, six-item quiz about what do you know about St. Patrick's Day? Because everybody Ooh. celebrates it, you mm-hmm. know, and so on. And so they all sit at these six tables in my class because it's a conversation, little conversation groups. And so they each got a question that answered a question. And they only got two out of the four questions right. Oh, wow. They knew nothing about St. Patrick's Day. The one question they did know was the answer to the question about what do they do in Chicago every year for St. Patrick's Day? Which is, everybody know that? It was a multiple choice quiz. You know what the, here here were the choices. This was really easy. Um, So the, the, the choices were, um, what do they do in Chicago? Of course, this was in Spanish. What do they do in Chicago every year to m- celebrate this day? A, they close off the Magnificent Mile to put on a big parade. Two, uh, they suspend all laws and open the bars at 8 o'clock in the morning. And three, they uh, dye the river, the Chicago River green. What do they do? They dye the river green. Numero trace. That's what they do. They got that one right. Okay, so let me give you one that they um, didn't get right because I actually threw a little... Um, I threw a couple of 
Let me just, uh, here we go. This is a little interesting cultural one. Okay, how did the shamrock come to be the symbol for this day? Okay, A, it's the national plant of Ireland. B, St. Patrick used it to, ex uh, to explain the Holy Trinity to the pagans. Three, or C, it represents the change from paganism to Christianity. I'm going to go with B slash two, since you change it every time. That's what I would say, too. Uh, you guys got it right. They did not get that right. Um, that's exactly what he did. That's what St. Pat. That's how this shamrock, the little three-leaf clover, came to be a symbol of this day in St. Patrick, because that's he said, you know, this is the this, and this is a very good teacher, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, so we did that quiz. It was kind of fun. We did it all nice. in Spanish, and they learned they. And then I gave them one about the relationship between uh, Mexico and Ireland. I'll give you guys this Ooh. one, then we'll go on with our show. But anyway, it says, so... Why is this day celebrated in Mexico? Why do they celebrate St. Patrick's Day in Mexico? A, um, because a group of, of Irish fought with the Mexicans against the United States in the 1840s. B, because many Irish um, moved, uh, what do you call it, emigrated to Mexico during the Great Potato Famine. C, because um, it got imported from the United States to Mexico as a holiday. I have no idea. B. The potato famine? Yeah. See? Everybody got that one wrong in class, too. It was A, because huh. the Irish, there was a group of Irish who went, a battalion called Los San Patricios, the St. Patrick's, huh. who went and fought with, alongside the Mexicans to help defeat the evil Americans who were invading Mexico at that time during the Mexican-American War. So, yeah, so there you go. Threw a little uh, historical culture on, too. So we had, that was fun in class. We had that little quiz. So you listeners out there maybe learned something new, too. Who knows? I have a question for you guys since it's St. Patrick's Day. Everybody knows what happens on St. Patrick's Day, right? People get wild. Have you gotten wild on St. Patrick's Day? Go with no. Have you no? ever seen me go wild? I don't know. I've never seen you out. <laughs> I've, seen, I've been at dinner with you twice, and I've never seen you outside. I'm trying to imagine. I'm, you know. No. No? no. How about you, Walt? Did you ever get? God. No, I'm, senor. I guess I, I, my class was like this today, too. I guess I'm the only wild person I know. I was know. about to say, we're not going to ask you. No, don't. <laughs> I mean, the stories I could tell you, man. Oh, yeah, let's. let's Your hair let's. would uncurl, let me tell you. <laughs> my gosh. It's, but no, because I, I was trying to imagine Walter drunk, too. That's why I was thinking about this question. Because, of course, Walter doesn't drink and he would never get drunk. But, but I just thought, I wonder if why would Walter would ever get wild on St. Patrick's Day and just do something wild on St. Patrick's Day. I just was just wondering if he would. But I can't see it, can you? No. No. So what are you gonna Walter's do pretty straight-laced, right? What are you going to do tonight with your w wife and kids for St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> I don't, we're not going to do anything. Eat green eggs. My wife has a class tonight, so, you know, I'm home with the kids, just the, just the three of us. Nice. We will eat some dinner. Well, I'm going to make a green martini. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home and make a green martini. There you go. After that works. I don't even know if they, because I didn't remember what to do. I, I wasn't thinking about it this morning. I don't even remember if they're wearing green or not. I know. Mm. I have no idea. I'm not wearing green except for my mustache here. And if it, it weren't great. for me pulling your chestnuts out of the fire, giving you that green mustache to wear. Yeah. Right. Because right. I could we pinch would you. Be totally. Yeah, true. Okay. True. Angelica's not wearing green. Uh, hello, I'm wearing a green mustache. Yeah. Yep. 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 We kind of have yep. the same color going on yeah, here. Yeah, we actually, do. Angelica. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you, if you all saw the tweeted picture on Mixler, um, I am green from head to toe. I should have put my feet up so they could see my oh, product, true. my green Potter yeah. Prada shoes, but they. But um, look, get in here and take Prada a picture of my feet. Look at, look, the come and take a picture of my feet and, and, and tweet it now while we're on the air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> would you say the diva wears Prada? The diva wears Prada. Of course yeah. I wear Prada. I only buy Italian <laughs> shoes. I have this thing about shoes. I'm, I used to be called the Imelda Marcos of Chicago, my closet. I have to like, I have to like, um, I have to, uh, what do you call it? Clean out my closet like every six months to make room for the new shoes coming in. Do you ever wear the same shoes twice? Of course I do, but yeah. you know, not not that you can tell. I see. So when when, when do you wear your green shoes? Other now these I only Patrick? wear on St. Patrick's Day. These green shoes. You have a, oh, a single oh, pair oh, of shoes. Angelica's putting out right now on on Mixler or somebody is. Twitter. I'm sending it to. You're sending it to, to Twitter. Luca. Okay, so it's gonna go out. So y'all look for my green feet. No, not my green feet. My <laughs> green <laughs> shoes. I do not have green feet. <laughs> Are they green suede shoes? No, no, no they're like uh, polished leather. Okay. All right, before we get started, I have a couple of uh, topics, or, I mean, a couple of announcements to, uh, before we get started. First of all, we want to remind everybody out there about our first creative ad campaign, creative ad contest called Get Your Tea Swag On. You've heard about this before, so I'm reminding you, Get Your Tea Swag On. We will award the most creative tea with BBP advertisements created by you, 
our wonderful listeners. The ad can be a poster, a social media event, a social media post, a blog post, any kind of event. You could be hosting a tea somewhere, hosting a high tea at the Ritz. It could be an announcement at a meeting. You could wear buttons at a meeting. Anything you want it to be, just show us. Be as creative as you possibly can. Uh, you send those in, uh, and uh, the three we will judge three entries to receive a full bag of tea with BBP swag. And we actually do have bags now, which I'll talk about later. Um, and they will have some new surprises in them. So if you want to know more information about uh, get your tea swag on, go to teawithbbp.com slash tea swag, and you'll get all the info you need to participate in that. And we've got some people doing that already, so jump in. You don't want to get uh, crowded out. Okay, my second announcement is this. We had, I mean, it was like wonderful the week before spring break. I really feel like I'm just, something's off because we were gone last week. <laughs> I actually feel something's off. I feel like, but anyway. It was, the we're week not in the groove. Yeah, we're not in the groove. But anyway, the week before spring break, when we, we did the open show where people could yep. call in and ask and talk about anything they wanted. We had such a strong, positive reaction to that show. Um, we call it the call in and ask anything show. Um, that we've decided to make it a monthly event. So what we're going to do is the first Tuesday of every month, we are going to do a call-in or write-in or whatever about anything you want. Um, and um, so that's going to happen. So the first week of April, I don't know what day of the week that is. What is that, like the 5th or the 6th or 7th or something like that? Whatever that Thursday is, that will be our free-for-all show. 7th. 7th of April. 7th. Yeah, so the 7th of April, it'll be uh, you calling and talk about everything. Of course, we'll post that, and you'll get that ahead of time. Um, so as usual, we want to make the show about you, not just about us. I may be the diva. I may be the international superstar, but, you know, I try to make room for other people. <laughs> <laughs> Very Except kind for of Walter. You. Hey, look, I'm campaigning for Walter for president. What, you are? Yeah. How? Yeah, I'm right there. I'm right there doing? with Darren. I'm right there with Darren. So... Anyway, um, this week, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, launch our romp through principles of contemporary language teaching. We decided we're going to do that. Um, there are seven of those, and so we're going to do one a week, except for those weeks where we do, where we do the free-for-all. Um, so we're going to talk about the principles of language teaching that, that would form the foundation of anyone's approach to teaching. That is, these are principles that you can take or that should inform what you do if you want to be contemporary. And to kick things off, we're starting with the most fundamental principle of all, which is this. Language is too abstract and complex to be taught and learned explicitly, a.k.a. language is not subject matter. And that has some very uh, positive and strong implications for what we do, not just what we don't do. Um, so if you want to get in on that conversation, please call us at 517-884-4321. Again, Walter, what's that number? 517-884-4321. Yes. And Emma and or Dustin or somebody over there who's on the phone, Emma's back. Emma, Emma Dunn is on the phone and she will field your calls. The lines are open and waiting for you to call in. You can tweet us at Tea with BBP. Or you can email us during the hour at teawithbbp.gmail.com. Sometimes I know some of you are on Mixler during the show. You're there as well. But remember, we prefer to have you call in and talk to us. We like to hear those sexy Tea with BBP voices out there calling in and talking to us. So <laughs> call us. Call us and talk to us. Again. I think you just scared everyone away. No. no. <laughs> Look, just as long as they don't breathe heavy, I don't care. You know? Okay. <laughs> No, really, call in and put your sexy. Remember well, remember that first show we did was say we're going to bring sexy back to SLA? Well, here's your chance, people. It's your turn <laughs> to bring sexy back to SLA. So the phone number again is 517-884-4321. And don't forget our quizzes. Remember, we have a regular SLA challenge quiz. We got a good one. It's not that hard, so you can win a nice prize. Uh, we got different prizes now, so you get your choice. I'll tell you what those are when you call in. Uh, you can also opt for the Diva Challenge Quiz instead. We got a good one of those, too. You'll like that one. Um, so some lucky call-in person can take a stab at either one of those, again, and walk away with a really nice Tea with BBP prize. Again, we got some new ones, so, but you have to call in for the quiz to find out what those, those prizes are. Okay. Um, oh, here's, before we go on, I have to read this thing that from last time. I didn't get to read it. Um, but, or did I read this? The, 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 not the tweet, what do you call it? It was an email from Barbara. 
Did we about Barbara about, about swimming? I can't remember. I don't think so. so okay, I don't think so you did read it. No. So Barbara, so Barbara, Barbara um, wrote a question and we didn't get a chance to answer it. But I loved what she wrote then as a P.S. She goes, P.S. I enjoy your show. Wait, wait, it gets better. I can't listen live, but I do listen to the recordings while swimming. What? Yeah. How is that even possible? Try to imagine Barbara doing the backstroke with her earphones on. Let's I see. said the same thing. How is that possible? <laughs> no, I actually did this. You can get you can get um, soundproof headphones and iPod, iPods or music player or MP3 oh, players. Cool. No. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so she, she listens to what she's doing. She goes, recently I've started entertaining the lifeguards by yelling out answers to the diva quiz while paddling by. <laughs> she goes, they are quite amused. I thought that was hysterically funny. Can you imagine Barbara swimming in the pool and yelling out, B, the answer is B. <laughs> the lifeguard's going, what the hell is this lady doing? She, do I need to jump in and save her? Is she drowning or something? Uh, Barbara, that's bless funny. you. We love that. Okay, so Barbara, we want you to call in sometime. If you, Oh, that's right, you can't. So, well, maybe, maybe you get a day off and you can call in sometime. Okay, our number again is 517-884-4321. All right. Shall we talk about our principal a little bit? Yes. While we wait for people to tweet, call in, chat, do whatever. Talk about Walter becoming president. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the actual principle is stated like this. And I probably should tell people that this is a preview to say, I'm not trying to sell or hawk things here. Um, but in this course I teach, uh, we deal with these principles. Um, and they're all derived. They're not things that I'm making up. These are things that that. You, if you sit back and you read broadly through the literature, you would come to these conclusions. They're not, there's not anything I'm making up. So, so they're not meant to be just mine. They're meant to be something that synthesizes stuff out there. And the, I, what I'm trying to do is compile these into some kind of something. And so I, I can't announce just yet what's going on. Um, but there might be a short book on these principles coming out sometime in the near future. So, um, so I'll preface by saying that. But So we're gonna, we'll deal with them briefly on the air because there's only so much time we have, right? But the first principle you always have to start with is the nature of language. Okay, so the underlying question is really what is language? Because until people grapple with the nature of language, they can't really talk about teaching language or teaching communicatively or teaching in a contemporary fashion, at least I would say that, and I think most people would say that. And you'd be surprised how many people go through education courses, teacher education, they go through methods courses, whatever, and they never once ever have any chapter or unit that says, this is what language is. This is the nature of language. Okay, so, so I would start there. And the point I start with when talking to people is that language is not... Um, a set of textbook rules or pedagogical rules. What's on page 37? What's on page 42 of your book? What's page 102? None of that stuff is real. It's all shorthand ways of talking about things that's too abstract and too complex to be taught and learned explicitly. And that has two repercussions. Um, the major, well, we'll talk about the repercussions later, but, but let me just shorthand all that by saying language is not subject matter, okay? And so... What does that mean? Quite simply, what I want, I hope people walk away with or think about is that Spanish, French, Russian, German, toss a language out on Gallagher. Italian. Italian. Japanese. Oh, Japanese. Portuguese. Portuguese, okay. These are not history. These things are not anthropology. They're not English literature. They're not chemistry. And they aren't learned like you might learn history, or you might learn anthropology, or you might learn chemistry, or you might learn English literature. The exception, of course, is linguistics. Okay? Linguistics is the formal study of language. It's called the science of language. Okay? That's, that's what we call it. And so linguistics is a subject matter like history, like chemistry, and so on. But we're not talking about linguistics. We're talking about Spanish, Russian, German, Italian, Portuguese, and so on. The idea here is that you can treat languages like subject matter, but then you're not learning language. If you go about treating language like subject matter, um, then what you're doing is you're buying this idea that somehow languages are this thing that you can pour into someone's head okay, through explicit teaching, learning, and through explicit practice. In other words, what you're doing if you treat language as subject matter is you're learning about language. right? You're teaching about the language, and people aren't actually acquiring language themselves. 
So the question then becomes, what makes, when I talk about language being too abstract and too complex to teach explicitly or to learn explicitly, what does that mean? And what makes language different from other subject matter? Would you like to know? Yeah. Of course. Are you like sitting there with bated breath? Mm-hmm. <laughs> with Walter sitting there with anticipation. <laughs> I bet you've never seen Rocky Horror Picture Show, Walter. I guess you're right. Wow. You've never seen that, Rocky Horror Picture Show? That is sad. That is. You've that seen is. it on Oh, yeah. 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 I've never oh, even heard of it. Oh, we danced it. Oh, my gosh. Let's do yeah. the time warp again. Put your hands up. Walter? Okay. I've got a copy. I'm going to lend it to you. But you, the kids it's must good. be in bed, though. You have to watch it just you and your <laughs> wife at night when the kids are asleep. Um, a little too racy for kids. Okay, but anyway, so Walter's sitting here with anticipation because he wants to know what I mean by this. Okay, again, stepping back, what I said earlier, what's on page 34 of your textbook, what's on page 42 of your textbook, what's on page 105 of your textbook is not what language is. These are shorthand ways to talk about things that you cannot talk about in in real ways because language is something that we like to call in linguistics we call it mental representation okay so what does that mean mental representation means you have this vast network of things in your head um, that defy explanation in in any easy way so let's let's take a simple example I'm gonna keep talking here till someone calls in so if y'all if y'all want to shut me up uh, shut me up out there and and, and talk about something else, then you need to call in or tweet in or do something. Um, but let's look at something. One of my favorite examples and the one I use in my book is yes, no questions, right? Okay, so Walter, I'm going to give you a statement in Spanish and uh, you make it a yes, no question in Spanish, right? Okay. Got, no, got, you know, got what I'm saying? Okay. Mm -hmm. So here's the statement in Spanish um, and I'll translate for people out there who don't know Spanish. Bill habla sobre la adquisición. So Bill talks about acquisition. Bill habla sobre la adquisición. Make that a yes-no question. Habla Bill sobre la adquisición. You don't have to act like a student. That's oh, not the sorry. point of this. <laughs> Just make it a yes-no question. Habla Bill sobre la adquisición. Okay, so if you are, the astute listener out there will notice the difference that was, the, the statement is Bill habla sobre adquisición lenguaje and Walter flipped the verb and the subject, so it was habla bien sobre adquisición del lenguaje. Okay, so from the outside, it looks like what you do to make a yes-no question is you invert the subject and verb, right? And that's exactly what you find in a textbook. But is that what happens? To know what happens, let's look at English. Okay, so Angelica, I'm gonna give you a statement, the same, the same statement in English, and you make it a yes-no statement in English, okay? I mean, yes-no question in English. So Bill talks about acquisition. Does Bill talk about acquisition? Okay, everybody out there listening knows this, right? So to make a yes-no question in English, you have to put a do verb in there, and then that inverts with the subject, right? So Bill does talk about acquisition. Does Bill talk about acquisition? That's how you make a yes-no question in English. At least that's what you would find on page 10 of your ESL textbook. But the question becomes, why does Spanish do one thing and English another? There must be a reason for that. And yes, there is a reason for that, and the reason is fundamentally the same. Actually, Spanish and English are doing the exact same thing. They're trying to solve the exact same problem that language presents them. They just do it two different ways. So the point here is that those rules we have for making yes-no questions in English and making yes-no questions in Spanish um, aren't actually what happens in your head. That's not what exists in the linguistic system. It's something much deeper than that. So I'm gonna like leave that pause there for a minute because I'll let people dangling and see if they wanna find out well, what really is going on with yes, no questions, okay? Because if, if that's not what's on page 10 of the book or page 42 of the book, what really is going on in people's heads? Instead, we're gonna take a call from Texas, I think. We have uh, somebody on the phone from, oh, we'll find out what part of Texas he's from. Is this Ryan from Texas on the phone? Yeah, this is he. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Uh, it's going all right. How's it going over there in East Lansing? Pretty, pretty great. Thank you for asking. What part of Texas are you calling from? Uh, North Texas, a little bit north of Dallas in a place called Denton. Oh, yeah, University of North Texas. Yeah, that's where I graduated from. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've lectured there, and I know Denton. You know, you know I have Texas affiliation, right? No, I don't. Yeah, my MA and my PhD are from University of Texas at Austin. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then uh, before I came to MSU, I was at Texas Tech for a couple of years. So I know Lubbock, as we like to call it, Lubbock. I know Lubbock well. Yeah. So, yeah, and I know Denton. How, how long ago were you at, um, did you uh, speak at UNT? Oh, gosh, that would have been 10 years ago, maybe. 
something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, okay. Time flies um, when you're a Prozac. Before right? I, I don't was know. aware of linguistics or cared, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was doing biology at the time. Oh, well, see, I'm, I, you're a man after my own heart. You know, my undergrad, I started in chemistry in my undergrad school. So anyway. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'm a scientist at heart. That's why I like doing linguistics because it's the science of language. Okay, so what do you want to talk about, Ryan? What are you calling about? Um, well, I just kind of, this is my first year teaching Spanish. The last two years I taught English in middle school. And this is my first year teaching Spanish in, um, in high school. So I teach Spanish one for sophomores um, because our, where I teach at a small school. So we haven't adopted like a four or five year program. And I'm in the middle of a very explicit year because I didn't come across any of this actual SLA research um, until the middle of the year. And then I kind of became disillusioned, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I did a family unit, and I actually, actually did the exact same thing that you talked about doing in the language educator a while back, where I just drew my family tree up, and I talked about my family. Mm-hmm. The kids loved it. And um, anyway, I'm just trying to figure out, like, how – because for me, this is like a huge undertaking, turning the entire classroom around. I'm trying to flip it as well so we have things to talk about in class instead of delivering – like vocabulary or instruction or whatever, which I'm not trying to do anyway. I'm just trying to figure out how long should a phase-in be? Should I just start into it, you know, as quickly as I can? I'm trying to do research, and it would be nice if I can get in um, to MSU doing the uh, uh, the early, not not the early, the uh, foreign language teaching. Anyway, that's that's a really long question for I don't know what, but... <laughs> I guess I'm asking about the phase-in. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're throwing me out there for a minute. Um, okay, yeah, sorry. so um, by phase-in, what do you mean by phase-in? By phasing in your teaching strategies or phasing in a new curriculum? Or what are you, talk, what are you trying to phase-in? What is a phase-in about? Yes. Yes, yes to, to all that, of that. Yes to all that, okay. Strategies <laughs> um, being more comprehensible in terms of input, um, not putting unrealistic expectations in terms of grammar that they should acquire when it's not necessarily in the acquired order, uh-huh. things like that. Okay. And how many classes do you teach and what levels? Um, I teach seven Spanish one classes. So you're all Spanish one? All Spanish one. I've got 180 some odd kids. Okay. Then that makes wow. it easy. That makes it e- I mean, that's a lot of work for you, but it makes it easy in terms of phasing in. Because if you were teaching yeah. different things, I would say pick one level, the earliest level, and work on that first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but since you're teaching all level one right now, then it's, it, you can actually... Forget about phasing in across levels. You could do it with all your classes at once. But before, yeah. I, bef- before we talk about that, let me just ask you one other question. Who's in charge of testing sure. and who's in charge of grades? Um, the district has a policy of two formative assessments per week, one summative for three weeks. And we just got approved to do AP. So my uh, department had said that – actually, I think it was the principal that had said that we need to – align everything down to where my Spanish one kids are prepared to take an AP test. So, Okay, well then you tell your principal that I disagree with that. Um, I, understand okay, why your prin- I understand why your principal wants people to pass AP, but let me tell you something about the AP exams and all the standardized testing. Is there is, in the long run, if that's what you're shooting for, then if you work backwards from that, you're not going to be able to create curriculum that are truly communicative or truly proficiency and orientation because you're always going to be trying to work toward the taking of an exam that tests explicit knowledge about language, about culture, and about literature. Um, that was my worry. And so, um, and so the, uh, uh, I'm not bad-mouthing AP exams because AP exams are fine exams if sure. that's what you want to do. But, but if you want to teach communicative proficiency, you have to have assessment measures that are about communication and about proficiency. And um, that's why I asked that question. That's always fundamental whenever you make change is how... Yeah. Are we going to assess people? And, um, and, and this is part of the problem, that the topic of today about language is not subject matter. See, what the AP right. exam does is it converts language and that stuff into subject matter. I can take a test, a multiple choice test. I can read a passage and I get multiple choice tests on it. I can answer questions about culture in South America. I can answer questions about the nature of language by, you know, is it said or estado, is it this or is it that, is it porta I can answer these questions. That's all knowledge about things. That's making language subject matter. And that's different from language as language as mental representation in your head that underlies your communication and your proficiency, right? So, mm-hmm. and so unless you can change the testing somehow, then um, I think you're going to run into problems trying to do 
of conversion. If your principal is pushing you toward AP stuff, that's going to tie your hands a little bit. You might be able to change the first two levels more, but then as you get those upper levels, you're going to have to start teaching toward that AP exam if that's going to be you know what you're going to be weighted on and great, your, you yourself as a teacher are going to be evaluated on and that's what your principal wants and so on. So, um, yeah. and then you have a little disruption between you, you go, oh, here we were doing acquisition communication for a couple of years, now we're going to switch and do something different. Um, that was where I was worried. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, the other way around it, you could do a half, you could do a mixed bag kind of thing where um, a compromise where um, you have units, so like one week it's stuff where you treat language like subject matter and then another week it's <coughs> actually about communication and acquisition and that kind of stuff you know and, and you just you just live with it okay we're gonna be schizophrenic we're, you know yeah and you tell your students you tell your students why you're doing it you know you have to tell your students why you're doing it obviously yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. otherwise but I thought I had heard Krashen talk about how that might be detrimental well of course I agree of course it's detrimental but of course it's detrimental but unless you have as a because you're, you're a new teacher right Right. Yeah. Unless you have the chops and marching your principals off and say, look, I can't do this and this is why, it's going to be more detrimental to you to not do it. The principal's going yeah, to go off, find someone who can do it. Um, and so, but Steve is absolutely right about that kind of stuff is detrimental to acquisition in the long run. He's right. Um, I'm trying to help yeah. you find strategies for yourself. Thank you. Um, and not strategies for, for, for acquisition right now because, you know, it's, it's unfortunate this is, this is the way a lot of people have to cope with this kind of stuff. So um, so I would suggest maybe you sit down and think about your curriculum in terms of modules and units, where you're a week on mm -hmm. this, a week on that, a week on this, a week on that, and alternate back and forth. And and then, um, and you never know, it could be, you know what you could do too, is you could start having in your parent-teacher conferences, little talks with your yeah. parents and people out there um, about this kind of stuff. And um, and see if you can't start to persuade them, and then maybe eventually, you know, because you have to ask mm -hmm. you have to ask parents, what do you want your kids to get out of Spanish? What do you want them to know? And you'd be surprised. I think you might get some parents backing you up on. And then you could push a little bit more. So start thinking of your yeah. parents as allies in this endeavor. And you know, it's going to take you a couple of years. You're new. Give yourself a couple of years. You're young. Rome wasn't built yeah. in a day. So no, it wasn't. Okay. Um, I did just see a, a thing about the SLA challenge quiz. Is that still available, or have I? Yeah, it is. My time? It, it is. No, okay, I'll tell you awesome. what, Ryan. Can, I'm going to do this. Um, we got another call coming. Okay. I'm going to take that call, and um, and then Emma's going to make sure. Emma, do you have uh, Ryan on the phone still? Can you get his phone number off the phone? So, in case we get cut off, he wants to take the challenge quiz. So we'll uh, we'll have him call back in a little bit here, or you can call him back. Okay. Um, but we're going to take this next call, and then uh, we'll get you back on the phone in a little bit if you want. Okay. Okay. Okay, Ryan. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Thanks for calling, right, Ryan. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, poor Ryan. That's just a classic thing. I, again, I hope I'm not too hard on the AP people. I don't want to. I know a lot of good AP teachers out there. I've done enough visits to, to to secondary schools. I know why AP is important. But you know, the reality is that again, it just it's that it we have competing forces in education. We just have to we have to recognize we do, and we have to figure out how to deal with those. And people like Ryan, or the teacher's hands sometimes get tight, and, and so they need to figure out strategies to, to, to cope with these competing forces or competing uh, interests. Um, okay, uh, I think we had a caller. What happened to our caller? Um, do we have, uh, do we have, no, we, I'm looking at my, my board up there. Um, and so um, I think we're going to look at... Uh, do we have an email question or Twitter question? Maybe that's what I'm, I'm trying to read on the board there. What do we have? Read me something, read me something off your screen on Gallica or Walter. What do you guys got? Okay, I've got a question here. It came in from Sean. Yay, Sean. Yes. Where's Sean writing from? Do you know? Uh, it doesn't say. just huh. says Sean. Well, it has Sean's last name, but we won't mention that. Nope. Uh, and it's in email land. Sean in email land. Uh, thoughts on guided discoveries. I love them, but they seem like they could be used in other classes, which makes me think I might be treating language like subject matter by using them. So guided discoveries. It depends on what you're guiding and what you want them to discover. If you're guiding them to discover something about the nature of language, you probably are treating it like subject matter. Uh, but if you're just guiding them to discover something about a topic through language, then it's different, right? So let's say Walter is my Spanish teacher. And what he wants me to know by the end of that class hour 
is I have to be able to name everybody in his family and their relationship to him. The point being is, Walter wants me to know everything about him and his family I can possibly know at the end of the hour. Okay, so his point is not to teach me family names, father, brother, daughter, son, wife, sister-in-law. That's not his point. That stuff gets dragged along because what Walter wants me to discover is I have a brother. His name is? Jerry. Jerry. And how old is Jerry? If you have to think about it, Walter is not much of a two. Bro- oh my gosh! <laughs> so he's a twin. No, you're younger than he is. No, no I'm older than he you're is. <laughs> oh, I thought you were. Oh my gosh. I'm his older brother. Oh my gosh! Okay, so. Oh, uh, thanks a lot, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I just outed your age. Oh, don't worry. I'm so much older than you. It's not. It's not even funny. So anyway, so the point is, is that at the end of class, Walter expects him to be able to say he has a he has a brother named Jerry. He's 32. So he, so Walter is older than him. That's what I need to know. Okay, because we're trying to find out about each other. So leading me to discover that, not leading me to be able to say the word for brother is hermano. The word for 32 is 32. That's not what Walter's trying to get me to discover. See the difference, Sean? That's so, so it depends on what you mean by discover. If you're trying to discover information about people in the world around them, that's good. If you're trying to get people to be able to tell you afterwards what, how the language works, then you're treating it as subject matter. That makes sense to you, Walter? It makes complete sense. I can't yes, tell with that mustache on if you're, if you're green with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have a phone call coming in. We got Mark from Colorado, it looks like. Mark, are you on the air? Yes, I am. Hi. Hey, Mark. How's Colorado treating you? Well, we had a little snow today, but that's, oh, that's no. okay. We needed it. Oh, oh. that's okay. We <laughs> needed yeah. it. Yeah, but Colorado's beautiful in the snow. It's not, not like it's... Well, it depends. Like yeah. If you're in Greeley, it's different, but if you're in... But if you're in Denver or Boulder or even Fort Collins. You know, I was offered a job at Fort Collins, and I didn't take it. I should have probably, huh, Mark? (laughs) (laughs) I could have been in the mountains right now. (laughs) That's right. So what's up? What are you calling about? Well, I have uh, sort of two points or one point and a question. I just did a back-of-the-napkin sort of calculation, and and I'm in uh, in undergraduate sector of, of teaching, and it, I figured out that, you know, a, a conservative estimate of how much we spend on undergraduate teaching in the first year for uh, t- kids taking courses in the language requirement is probably around $4 billion per year across the nation. Now, don't ask me how I got that. I, you, I know that there are 14 million undergraduate students now, and so I figured there are about a million uh, of those students who are taking first year Spanish or whatever to, to match, to meet the requirement. So I, I just thought that that was a kind of an interesting figure. I, I don't know what $4 billion means um, in, in terms of the GNP, but it's, it's not chump change. Yeah. So, I, so here's We could build a wall with that $4 billion. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the question is that it has to do with language teachers. And they often come from the small fraction of Americans who are advanced level learners of, on the actual scale. Mm-hmm. My hunch is that if you ask these teachers how they learn their L2, the majority of them will give, you a good de- will, will give a good deal of credit to the learning of formal language rules mm-hmm. that they learned in the classroom mm-hmm. or that they learned in textbooks. Right. Furthermore, these same teachers might also inform their lesson planning on that belief. Correct. So you touched on this area a little bit last year in your white paper published in Hispania, I I think. Mm -hmm. But do you know of any wide-scale research that looks at this particular part of the teacher belief system? No, I do not personally, but I know it exists. I know that there are people who work out there in what's called teacher cognition and teacher knowledge development. Um, and so you'd have to hunt there, but it does exist. Walter, your wife works in. Did you did you know anything like that? She may. I'm not. Fam- okay. I'm not myself familiar. I know with it exists. That. I know that there are people. I know in ESL people have looked at this. Um, so it's out there, Mark. But I, I, unfortunately, I'm sorry, I do not have that. Um, but you know, I'm going to make a note because I should probably be informed. I have that at my fingertips for people. So, I but but there is work on teacher cognition, Mark. I know there is, uh, and how teachers yeah, form those yeah, beliefs. Yeah, I know about that, and I think you're right. A lot of it is in ESL. Um, so there's, that's, that's very interesting research. I'm really particularly concerned about what do, about how teachers inform themselves about 
the theory of language, and, and if they have a theory of language. Yeah, and as I said earlier, I can guarantee that 99.9% do not. It just never is never. And, the, and the, what, next week we're going to talk about the nature of communication and what it means to teach communicatively, and people have no working definition of that either. So people are basically teaching in the dark. That's the point I'm making here. But anyway, go ahead. Well, one, yeah, I guess one other point would be that we have a language requirement in many of our universities, but the people who are teaching in those language requirement courses might need a requirement on their own, which is to have a theory of language. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. You know, Mark, I think coming back to something, this is Walter speaking here, coming back to something you said earlier about how teachers learn and how they perceive that they learned language. I think, though, anecdotally, I, I imagine that there would be a, a significant number of teachers who would also say that if they had an experience overseas in the target language, then it's likely that they would claim that that was probably where they learned the most or where they were able to better communicate or finally start to be able to actually use the language uh, for the purposes of communication. So anyway, I think uh, I think they would maybe come back to, oh, yeah, well, I learned it explicitly, but also they would probably say, but really where I where I had the, the greatest growth in terms of my abilities was when I was studying abroad, for example. Which is a contradiction, you know. It, if you're, or, or maybe not, maybe the idea is that, well, you, it's a two-step process in their mind. Um, but nonetheless, I still think... Um, Science usually tries to be parsimonious, and it tries to look at one answer rather than two. Right, right. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I really appreciate your show. Oh, well, thanks, Mark. <laughs> thanks. We appreciate you calling in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be out in Colorado in end of September, is it? Or is it beginning? I forget when it's going to be. I forget the dates. But yeah, so I'll see <laughs> you out there. We have your calendar memorized. I'll see, yes. I'll see Mark. I'll see all the call, great Colorado people out there. I'm excited about that. Nice. So, okay, Mark. Thanks for calling in. Right. Okay. Thank you. Hang Enjoy in there. the snow. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, we're always back to this topic of, of how, what people know and what they don't know as teachers and so on. Which is why we do this show. We want to be interactive and have people listen to us and react and, and call in and say what they know and what they don't know and what needs to happen. And so we, at least we hope that's what happens. But anyway. We um, had one interesting comment to follow up on your comment about AP. Do it. Um, from Clayton. And he said that I think if you're teaching a communicative curriculum based around CI, you can show evidence to anyone that it's AP compatible. I thought that was an interesting comment. I mean, you could. um, Clayton would have to. It's Clayton, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, Clayton. I'd have to have more details. I'm having difficulty envisioning that. Well, the thing is that, you know, if you got them to the point where they could do the AP material in the second language completely... Then you actually, by that point, you could be killing two birds with one stone because you're still mm. pushing them through acquisition mm-hmm. while they're learning about something, right? Yeah. So, um, so if you saw if they had sufficient skills by the time they got to like level four, yeah, that you know that Clayton might be onto something there if you look at it as a continuum. Yeah. So, okay, I take that back. <laughs> I, I see it, Clayton. I see how it would work. At least in my mind, I see how it works. So, good point. Um, uh, the. The I just want to follow up on one thing before we take our, our, our next call. Um, and this idea about language is not subject matter um, is that as long as we keep l- teaching language as subject matter, think about the consequences. And this has to go back to what Ryan asked about, taught, was talking about earlier. And, and that is that the minute we teach lang- treat language as subject matter, we fall into that issue of grades, evaluating students, GPAs and all that stuff. Yep. And that means all the stuff that's be formalized in certain ways and that works against us teaching for acquisition and teaching for proficiency. And, and that's something that we need to deal with seriously in this profession. So, so treating language like subject matter makes us fall into, and I'm going to call it a trap, the trap of buying into evaluation metrics and doing things like all other subject matter. And ACTFL has valiantly been trying to fight against that for a number of years in terms of can-do statements, portfolios, individual portfolio assessments, all these kinds of things are really great ideas. Um, but the, we have to deal with the fundamental issue of language is not subject matter. It's not the list of rules that can be taught and learned explicitly. Okay. Um, all right, then. Um, oh, do we have Ryan back on the phone? He's going to take the SLA Challenge Chris. Ryan, are you back with us? I am back. Hey, Ryan, Excellent. welcome back. Did you go get a cup of tea Thank so you, you could drink your tea with us? 
Oh, no, I, I didn't. You that's didn't. okay. We won't judge. I have no tea in the house. I'm sorry. I forgot coffee. Oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> we, we drink coffee here, too. We're not just tea exclusive. We're not, we're not, we're not racist about worried. our beverages. So we'll, we'll, we, we take any beverage during tea with BBP. I, I would really like a martini right now, but I have to wait till I get home to have one of those. A green one, right? I'm going to have a green one. I'm going to put green food coloring in my martini today see what happens. Ryan, I forgot to ask you, are you actually really, fr- are you from that area of Texas, just north of Dallas, or that where you, that's where you live now? Um, well, I did my uh, undergrad here, and that took all of six years because I have a bachelor's in biology and Spanish. Then I moved to California. Sorry, not the north. I was in the south. Oh, you pay um, attention. <laughs> oh, I like this guy. Ryan, you're, you're bumping up. You're now my number two fan. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. Well, I played all the podcasts at twice the speed, so I can get through them as twice as fast, so I can be caught up for <laughs> Road <time>. runner. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and... Uh, so it's really weird listening to you guys speak not like Mickey Mouse, but like regular people. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm adjusting. All right. Okay, so you want to take a quiz, right, Ryan? You want to win something. That's what I would like to do, yes. Come on <laughs> down. Come on down. Okay, so are you taking the SLA Challenge quiz or are you taking the Diva Challenge quiz? You get a pick. Oh, the SLA Challenge. I've never followed pop culture, so. Oh, I got a good, I have See, a good Diva quiz. now I like Ryan. No pop culture. Uh, because he's all about the pop, about the pop <laughs> culture. Okay. All right. Okay, you're ready, Ryan. You know how this works, right? You've got three questions. They're all multiple mm-hmm. choice. You get two right. You get a prize. You get three right. And you get a super prize. Okay, so. Sweet. So let me tell you what your prizes are so you know what you're working for. If you get two right, you get a little coaster for your desk. Right? If you get all three right, you can get a choice of two things now. You can get a full set of four Ooh. coasters. Because when you entertain all those lovely guests at your mm-hmm. house, so they don't put coffee rings or martini rings on your nice cocktail table. Or we have a new thing now we just got in that you're going to love. We have new, drum roll please, tea with BBP totes. So on one, side, on one side it has our logo, the tea with the little tea bag hanging on it. And the other side it says tea with BBP. And they're red and white, just like our, our signature color. Sweet. So um, you can decide on that after if you get... All three right. You ready to go? Oh, yeah. Okay, here's, yes, number, here's number one. Tracy Terrell and Steve Krashen are known for which of the following? A, mm-hmm. the audiolingual method. B, the inductive approach to grammar. C, the natural approach. Or D, the smash hit, I got you, babe. <laughs> I got you. I'm gonna have to go with the natural approach. And the answer is Woohoo! Ding 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 ding. The natural approach. Good for you. Great. Good. You're great. Okay, on your way to the, the first coaster. Okay. Awesome. Now this is a this is a toughie. This is your MA. Okay, so we'll see if you've been doing your reading. All right. Question number two. Meryl Swain is best known for what? There's a theme about what people are best known for today. So Meryl Swain is best known for what? A, the input hypothesis. B, the output hypothesis. C, the interaction hypothesis. D, the the Pythagorean hypotenuse. (laughs) (laughs) I could barely get that out. Pythagorean (laughs) hypotenuse. That's not my election. That was Pythagoras or Pythagoras or whatever you say. Um, so the first one was input, the second one was output. What was the third one again? Interaction. So the input hypothesis, the output hypothesis, or the interaction hypothesis? Um, I feel like I've read more on input through crashing, so I want to say, um, the output hypothesis? Ding, 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 ding. Good guess, yes. In fact, in 1985, she published... one coaster coming my way, hopefully. Yep, she in <laughs> 1985, she published a very famous paper about the output hypothesis, which uh, launched a whole reaction to Steve Krashen's input hypothesis, but it's also been misread in many ways, and so we won't get into that, though. Okay, sure. now, um, number three. Ready for this? And I, yes. uh, Ryan, you better get this one right. <laughs> this one should be on the diva quiz, but it's yeah, not. Yeah, so. it should be. Okay, ready for this? <laughs> oh, okay. Bill Van Patten's Bill Van Patten's pedagogical intervention is known as A processing instruction B pushing output 
C, input highlighting. D, Clairol highlighting. <laughs> so that was, um, the first one was input processing, and the second one was what? Pushing output. Yeah, that's not it. And then a C, no, the first one, the first one was processing instruction, B, pushing output, C, input highlighting. Don't forget um, D, clear sorry, all What was C again? What, what kind of highlighting again? Input highlighting. I got input highlighting. So processing um, instruction, pushing output, input highlighting. Uh, uh, man, see the Are you looking on Mixler right now? Take Maybe a look at Mixler. Or, is Mixler. Oh, hold on. Yeah, sorry. Let me do that. <laughs> look at your lifeline. I'm gonna give you. <laughs> I'm gonna give you ten seconds. You got ten seconds okay, to look at your lifeline. Processing instruction. Processing instruction. That's what. That's what I'm gonna go for. Yeah. Ding ding ding. Yay! Ding. Yes. Woo! Yes. In fact, uh, actually, it's a lot of people like to call it input processing, but input processing is the model, the theory that I work with. But I, for short, I call it okay, processing instruction. I knew you go a lot on input, and so I was like, the input word was throwing me off. Yeah, well, I see. That's why, tricky, tricky. that's why it's the PhD part of the quiz. So you just earned yourself a PhD. All right. Okay, good for you. Um, and for those who want some historical reference, we first published that paper in 1993. Me and Teresa Caderno. Okay. Uh, so uh, you have won the big tamale. And the tamale for you is, you want a set of four tamale. coasters, or would you like... A tote that says tea with BBP on one side and um, has the the cup on the mug on the other side. I think if I get the tea with BBP, I can probably advertise for tea with BBP the tote uh -huh. more than I can with coasters because coasters kind of stay put. Did you um, just say you're going to advertise? Yes, you're going to use it to advertise. Thinking. Well, okay. I told one teacher about it. Although I did just see that um, another teacher I know is following you. I think oh. after I had followed you guys on Twitter. Well, great. And well, I'll tell you what, Ryan. I like you so much, and you're the number two fan now, that I'm going to send you both. How's that? Oh, I like it. Nice so guy. now you oh. could, because, no, because you said you're going to advertise it. Anybody who says they're willing to help put the name out there, what we're doing, and, and support us, you're going to get both now. So you can advertise, and the other ones are for Thanks. your, the coasters are for your enjoyment. How's that? Thank you, sir. Yeah. I appreciate and that. And I well, think I heard Ryan. I think you missed him, but he was correcting you on your tamale. He was saying it's tamal. I know it's tamal, <laughs> but I'm, I'm speaking. I'm speaking American right now. I'm not speaking my Mexican Spanish tamal. Oh my bad. I'm sorry. It's, it's tamal. <laughs> it's tamal. No, he always says that actually, Ryan. So that's why I was impressed. I know. That's why. I, that's why I did that. I know. I always. I, I do correct people on that, but you know, hey, when in Rome, speak like the Anglo's. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, big boy. Sorry, my son just woke up from a nap. So. Oh, no. <laughs> Gee, I thought, I thought you were schizophrenic so and you had I'm multiple voices. I thought maybe Sybil was going to come I'm on any minute. you, big boy. It's okay, <laughs> sweet baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ryan. Well, we'll let you go. Make sure you stay on the phone, though, and give uh, Emma okay. all your information so we can mail that stuff to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, have a great Ryan. day. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. That was so cute. His son comes in the end. Yeah, I'm awake now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should give Walter the diva quiz. Oh yeah, let's do it. Oh, I'll help no. you. I'll be of no help. Okay. Well, we'll do, we'll It'll do be that. fantastic. We'll, we'll, we'll do that in a minute. Let's just. Well, actually, we could do it now, or we could, I could we could talk a little bit more about the topic. There are there any email questions or Twitter things we want to address for people before we get zany here? Um, on Mixler, I did want to talk about the consequences. Well, I did talk about some of the consequences of treating subject matter like uh, treating language like subject matter, but. Um, has anybody out there, by the way, figured out the issue about yes/no questions, Spanish and English yes/no questions? Why they they look different for the same reason? This is what I mean by abstract and complex. This is why the textbooks are all wrong. Go ahead. Terry was asking on Mixler, how can we help new teachers plan how to teach toward language acquisition? Wow, that's a big question. Well, how can we help them with that? Well, when I get my book done and have it out, it'll be out there in the fall. So. I'll say, buy my book. It'll be short. Tell them all to listen I'm to actually, this book I'm working, I'll let people know that this book I'm writing just for you. It really is. I'm writing another book just for teachers. It's not for scholars. It's not something to put on my resume and say, I did another book. It actually, it's called Foundations of Language Teaching. That's, or Foundations of Contemporary Language Teaching. It's going to be six, uh, seven short chapters, very readable. You can read the whole book in an afternoon, literally. Um, and each one teach these, treats these principles in a very non-jargon way, walks you through it, implications for teaching, resources, references, all kinds of stuff that you can use to help build your curriculum so and build your background so that you can do what you need and want to do. 
and have rationale for doing it too. So anyway, so um, so Terry, that's coming. I can say that. Um, and then teachers should also a good thing for teachers to do is go to conferences. Go to some, there's some good workshops out there. They're really actually like Walter. Aren't you doing a workshop at ATSP this summer? I'm not. You're not. No. Okay. We're doing one at ATSP called um, the centrality of communication. Um, and so we're tackling Joe Barcroft and Paul Mandel and I are doing a three-hour workshop, and we're showing how you can make communication the center of everything you do in the classroom. Um, and so, um, so things like that are good for people to attend. Um, ACTFL always has some good workshops on different kinds of things. Um, so, you know, and look at your local conferences, too. Your regional ones sometimes have some very good things, too. So statewide? Yeah, I would start there. I would start there. Are you doing one for Mywala this fall? I don't know yet. Well, I gave so many. <laughs> I gave workshops, and I, I had five different presentations at Myla last year oh, and four wow. at ATSP. Well, do, just do one. Do <laughs> one more so workshop. I was like, I think I'm going to take a break this year, but All we'll right. see. Well, anyway. So. And do you think, very short question, Clayton had a follow-up question hey, Clayton, on welcome Twitter. Back. Um, Clayton, get off Twitter and call me on the phone, I damn know, it. I know, right? So language is too complex to be taught explicitly, but do you think explicit teaching can help when you only have two hours a week? No. Here's why. You cannot... Here's my analogy. Language in your head is one thing. Explicit information is another. Now, look, here's, here's the metaphor I use in my book. Okay, so if I take water and I freeze it, water becomes ice, right, Angelica? Yes. But does the essence of the molecule change? No. All that happens when you change water from water to ice is you slow down the vibration of the molecules but you still have an h2o molecule correct walter correct okay now can by chilling water can i turn it into oil no because why it's not oil because why they have different chemical makeups yeah one is h2o one is a carbon compound with carbon and hydrogen and the kind, well, it's carbon and oxygen and hydrogen, but it's a carbon-based compound, the other one's not. In other words, the problem with teaching explicitly and thinking it's gonna do something is you, a lot of people think that I can take that water and turn it into oil. Imagine water is the explicit information and teaching you're doing, but what has to wind up in their heads is something like oil, a completely different kind of compound that uh, is unrelated to what you're doing outside of that. And there's no mechanism in the brain that tra can transform that water into oil. We can't chill that water and make it oil. All it can do is stay an H2O molecule. So explicit information, explicit teaching can only stay explicit. It can't become mental representation. It cannot. Um, and so that's, that's why this is such an important thing. Okay. Um, oh my gosh, look at that. Look, look at time it is. Um, do we have time for the quick diva quiz for Walter or is it time for our acknowledgements? Oh, we got. Quick question. You want to do it real fast? Yeah, super fast. Super okay, fast. real fast. Okay, fast. Here, we go. here we go. This is all about Cher. Do you know about Cher, Walter? A little bit, maybe. Okay. Number one, Cher was married to what other musician singer until the early 1970s? Sonny. Next. Okay, that's, that that's right. Okay, my, choices, my choices were Dan Fogarty, Sonny Bottle, Bob Dylan, Fred Flintstone, but you got Sonny Bonner. Okay. <laughs> Two, Fred, wh Fred. what was the title of Cher's smash hit that relaunched her music career in 1999? A, I got you, babe. B, if I could turn back time. C, if I could turn back time. C, believe. D, light my candle because I'm just too hot to handle. <laughs> I don't know. I'm guessing if I could turn back time, but it seems like that was earlier, actually. That was 1989. Was okay, or 1988. Um, it's believe. Believe. Okay. So I don't know that one. Yeah, you're not going to get a coaster yet unless you get this next one right. Okay. And number three, Cher received her first Oscar nomination for what movie? Oh. A, Silkwood. B, Mermaid. C, Moonstruck. D, Wigstock. Uh, B. B what? Mermaids? Yeah. yeah. No, Silkwood. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. We don't know anything. So. All right. Aye, aye, you aye. don't know anything. Okay, kids. We got to sign off here. Look at that. We only have one minute left. Okay. All right. We want to thank our technical producer, Dan Trego, who's back to behind the booth. Our media producer, Luca Giappone, who's giving me the time signal. Our talented and trusty intern, Emma Dunn, who's filling all your calls. And her backup person mentoring her, Dustin DeFelice, who's back there. Our assistant producer, production manager, Jeff Maloney, who's out today, but he's around somewhere. The Center for Language Teaching Advancement, a.k.a. CELTA, the College of Arts and Letters. And remember that the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. So we want to thank all of you listeners out there. We'll be back next week, of course, with our second principle, All About Communication. You'll get our newsletter. 
Until then, have a great weekend. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Do not drink and drive tonight. Be safe. Bye, everybody. Happy acquisition to you all. Adios. Auf Wiederhören. <laughs>